0: morning, hope you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and make your way to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Each week as I watch that video and I just think about uh, our world, those questions are so pertinent to us. How do we impact and change a fractured and broken world around us? And what we're going to talk about today is one of the key ways that we do that. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, death and how we deal with death as Christians Because when we gather each Sunday, we celebrate, we worship, and we praise the risen King. That is our hope, that is our joy. And so we have something that nothing else in the world can offer outside of Jesus. And so we come to passages like this where we talk about death. And it doesn't have to be heavy or weighty or despairing. The hope we have in Jesus Christ leads us to live differently. Leads us in such a way to turn the world upside down. And when Christ, 2,000 years ago, walked out of that tomb, it turned the world upside down. It changed things for you and for me and how we live. And so church family, every single week we gather together to worship the risen King. This is why we're gathered, this is why we're here, this is our hope. And so as we come to this passage today, I pray that it encourages you, that it gives you hope in an area that's filled with fear and anxiety And a lot of unknowns. So we're going to be in verse 13 and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. But Paul starts in verse 13 and he says this statement, I don't want you to be uninformed. We live in a culture and in a world where we've heard so many different things about death and what the afterlife looks like. There's a lot of confusion. And a lot of that confusion breeds fear into our hearts instead of faith. And I hope that today we can walk through, maybe cut through some of those things that we've been uninformed about or misinformed about. Because this is a real thing that we all will face in life. It was fascinating, a couple weeks ago, my daughter got to serve helping train service dogs. My daughter loves animals, loves to help train dogs. And so you can train service dogs to do a number of different things. You can train them to help kind of comfort people with maybe PTSD or something like that. You can teach them to be a part of a, a, a rescue team that goes out and finds people. I mean, you can train dogs to do a lot of different things. And, and this company um, trains different dogs. And one of the dogs that they train is a dog that comes here to our church. Uh, often here, Ella. See a picture of Ella on the screen right now. I love Ella to death, one of the sweetest dogs, one of the sweetest beagles that you'll, you'll ever meet. And so my daughter goes out to help train Ella as well as other dogs that day. And, uh, She has a fun time and she comes back and she comes to the door. She's kind of tired and exhausted in this moment. And she comes up to me with a very stoic face and she says, Dad, Ella passed. And I was just, I was so sad. I'm like, Ella is so, such a sweet dog. And I I, I told my daughter, I said, I'm so, I'm so sorry, babe. Uh, Ella was a sweet dog. And she goes upstairs to her room and my wife comes in um, right after her from the garage because she had gone to pick her up. And I said, that is so sad to hear about Ella that she passed. And my wife's like, no, 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 Ryan, <laughs> you misunderstood. Ella didn't pass. She passed her test. She, ate, she, took, she got the next award to move up in the service dog. I'm like, whoa, okay, I was completely misinformed. Like I got the whole thing wrong. And I tell you that because today a lot of us have been misinformed. And God in this passage is going to tell us, I don't want you to be misinformed about death. I don't want you to misunderstand or to be uninformed about what it is and how we are to deal with death. How we are to react and respond to this. So this is what the passage says starting in verse 13. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And that word for asleep there is an analogy to talk about death. We'll unpack that more in just a minute. That you may not grieve as others do. Who have no hope. For since we have believed that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will, will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command Thank you today for these words that were written for us to encourage us. And So I ask today, in your grace and in your mercy and your might, that you would encourage us through these words. And I pray specifically for those who have been impacted by death this year. Lord, you know that many in our church have lost a spouse or a brother or sister or a friend to death, and I ask that you would encourage them and that you would comfort them today. Lord, I also pray and ask for those who fear their own death. God, would you give them encouragement today? Would you give them peace today? Lord, as we look at your word, we just confess, knowing that death was not a part of life, but it's a perversion of life. Our sin has made a way for death to come into our world. But in the same breath, it is your life and your resurrection that made a way for eternal life to come into our world. And so we thank you for that, Lord. And we ask that you would comfort and encourage us with that truth this morning. Now let me invite you, no matter where you are in your faith or your spiritual walk, would you just pray and ask God to Speak to you through these words today. Would you pray to him now? Lord Jesus, we lift all of these things up to you. The reality of death has us asking questions on every level. We ask the question emotionally when we deal with death or we think about death, we're asking questions. Physically, we're asking questions about what does that look like. Even theologically, when we think about death, we're asking all of these different questions. And I hope that at least in a little way we can answer some of those questions about how God desires for us to deal with death. And to have an attitude that aligns with the scriptures in which God calls us to align to when we think about death. And the first thing I want us to grasp from this passage is we've got to understand that we should grieve over death. We should grieve over death. In verse 13, he, he says that he wants us to grieve, but grieve as ones who have hope. Nowhere in this passage and nowhere in scripture do you see God saying, Don't grieve, don't be sad. Don't be sorrowful. He never says that. There's a place for pain in our life when a a relationship is severed. We should not deny a place for grief as Christians. We've got to understand that. And for Christians, so many times we'll try to comfort people in the midst of death and in the midst of loss by saying true statements. But we'll say things like, well, they're with the Lord now. So don't grieve. Don't be sorrowful. You know, know the Lord works all things out for the good of those who love him. So don't be sorrowful. Of course you're going to miss them, but they're in heaven now, they're happy. We'll say things like, everything happens for a reason. And though those things are true, it should not stop us from grieving. We should grieve over death. Because it's not the way this world is supposed to be. Jesus, in John chapter 11, Jesus grieved over death. Jesus knew every single one of those statements that you and I speak to comfort one another, he knew them to be true. He knew them to be true. He knew that that God the Father was going to work out all things for his ministry and his glory. He was going to work it out. But in John chapter 11, he shows up on the scene and his friend Lazarus has died. He's in the tomb. And Jesus doesn't run around saying, Stop crying. Why are y'all crying? Why are y'all shedding tears? I'm going to raise him from the dead? Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that he was going to speak and raise Lazarus from the grave. And yet Jesus wept. He cried. It's the shortest verse in all of the Bible. That Jesus wept. He wept over death. Jesus grieved. And the reason why Jesus wept because he had the same feeling that we have when we experience death. See, death is a hateful thing. Death is the enemy. And when Jesus weeps right here, he's weeping because he knows that this is the sin that has broken his perfect creation. And that death wasn't supposed to be a part of this. I mean, if you are sick and tired of death, if you're sick and tired of hearing about it, think about God. He created this whole world perfect and death was not a part of it. And from the very beginning when sin entered into it, God has seen every single person take their last breath. If you're tired of death, think about how tired God is of death. The first death that entered in this world was a murder of one brother murdering another brother. And so if you're tired of death, yeah, so is God. And that's the reason Jesus came to defeat death passage we read at the very beginning of, of service, he came to abolish death and to give us immortality. This is the hope of the gospel. I pray, I hope it stirs your heart. Because this is what turns the world upside down. We grieve. Yes. Because we look at what Christ did as he looked at a broken world and he wept over it. And this passage in John 11, verse 35, is one of the weightiest passages I believe in all of scripture. Because our God grieved over death and there is no other religion in the entire world that offers this kind of God. You have all these false religions out there that look at a broken world and they're like, it's your fault. You deal with it. And our God, the true God, knelt down into a broken suffering world and he wept over it. He didn't just weep for us. He wept with us over death. This is completely different than anything else the world has. This is our God. So let us grieve, yes, but may we not grieve alone. God calls us multiple places in Scripture to to help each other grieve. So as Christian community, as a church, yes, we walk with each other through these times of suffering and pain. Absolutely. So let's not do it alone. But ultimately, let's run to the only one that can fix our broken hearts and, and fix those wounds. Christian community to come and pray and love and serve one another. And we should, church, we should do that. But it is only God and him alone who stoops down to heal our broken hearts and takes those pieces of our broken hearts and binds them back together. So let's grieve, but let's look at Jesus, the one who wept with us over death, and let's grieve well. Let's grieve well. See, grieving is right. But please hear me and understand, this is so important. If we don't grieve right, then our grief will become bitterness. If we don't grieve right, then our grief will darken and shrivel our souls. And we will live in despair. You see, this is where the world stops. The world stops with grieving over death. And unless we season our grief with hope, then it will shrivel up our souls. And that's why this passage says, yeah, grieve. But do not grieve as those who have no hope. Church family, let us grieve. But let us not grieve hopelessly. Let us not grieve hopelessly. We tend to see grief and hope as mutually exclusive in our culture. We have hope over here. We have grief over here. These two should never touch. And Christianity comes into it. We're like, no, 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 no. Those two things go hand in hand. We grieve, and at the same time, we can have hope. How? Because of what Jesus has done. Because of how he walked into death in the grave, and he came out and defeated it. And so now we grieve, but we're like, yes, we have hope that that the grave is not the finish line, death is not it. There's something more powerful. It's our Christ, our King. when it says here to grieve as one who has hope, we devalue the word hope in our culture today. We will use hope to talk about anything from we hope a team wins a game or we hope the weather's good. We'll use hope in all these different places and we will devalue hope. But at this time and in this culture, when they spoke of hope, it was a certainty. It was something that was a conviction that they knew was going to happen. And so they grieved, yes, but they had a hope that it wasn't the end. They had a deep conviction. See, hope is not meant to be a wishful thought, but it's meant to be a truthful reality. Let me try to paint a picture in a different way for us. Imagine if next week there was a funeral that was going to be here at the church. And the night before, you know, on Friday night, you try to do a rehearsal and you run through everything and I'm there at the end of the rehearsal and I'm talking to the bride and the groom. And I look at the bride and I say, I really hope that tomorrow for the wedding day that your, uh, your, your wedding is beautiful and the weather is great and it's not raining so that you can go outside and, and take pictures. And you see the bride respond and be like, I hope so too. Like I hope the weather's great. And I hope it's warm. Like that's a wishful expectation, right? Of I hope the weather is good. But on the flip side, if I looked at the groom and I said to the groom, Hey, I really hope that the bride is here tomorrow for the wedding. And his response is, I hope so too. There's a vast difference between those two hopes. You see, he might say, I hope that she's here tomorrow, but his hope is in a certainty. Why? Because he knows her, he knows their history, he knows their past. And so I can joke and say, I hope she's here tomorrow. And and with a certainty, he can say, yeah, I hope she is too. But his hope is a deep conviction because of the relationship, because of the history and the past that they have. He knows that she will be there tomorrow. But in the same way for us, as we think about this hope that we have, as we grieve with hope, we grieve with certainty. Why? Because of the history of Christ. The relationship we have with Christ. That's where our hope rests. Our hope in the future is grounded in the certainty of the past. Because of what Christ has done, we know without a shadow of a doubt, we can have hope and that death is not the end. That's why verse 14 tells us, Jesus died and he rose again. This is a past historical moment. So often we think, well, our faith is just built on faith, and our belief is just built on relief, and that's belief, that's that's it. No, our faith is built on a historical moment that happened in history where Jesus died and breathed his breath, that was his last, and went into the tomb and rose from the grave. That is where our hope lands, in a historical moment of history. And so if you struggle to believe that on an apologetic level, I want to know the details. I want to know all these things. Then let me encourage you. There have been many books written. Many books that help you understand the validity of the resurrection of Christ. The Case for Easter by Lee Strobel's a great book. I'd encourage you to get it and to read it if you're struggling to believe in the resurrection. The Case uh, for the Resurrection, also by uh, Mike Lacona. It's a great book. Gary Habermas. The resurrection of the Son of God by N.T. Wright. These are guys that have spent their life trying to show people this is a real event in history. Our faith is not based on something like, ooh, way out here. No, it's a historical moment that happened. So we rest in that. Our hope is in that. And you might think, well, Ryan, that's great that Jesus rose from the grave. What does that mean for me? How do I know that I'll be risen from the grave? Because the very one, Jesus, who defeated death in the grave is the one that makes the promise to you and to me, to all who would believe, that he will raise you. John chapter 6, verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up in the last day. You see, Jesus with his life and with his resurrection and with his promises, he's saying, yes, personally, I have the power to defy death. I am going to defeat death. I'm going to raise from the grave. Great, Jesus, that's fantastic. Then he says, yeah, but I'm going to do the exact same thing for you. I don't just have power for myself to be risen from the grave. I have the power over death to raise you from the grave. This is how the Bible talks about it. This is the promise that we have when we deal with death. That we would know that Christ has defeated it. And we too, in the power of Christ, will do the same. And that's why the Bible talks about death as sleep. Multiple times in this passage, he says that. He says it's just a nap. Talks about sleep as death. What in the world? Talk about sleep is death. There, there were people that would write at this time and they would talk about sleep as death as well, but nobody talked about death being a sleep that you woke up from. Nobody in that time, no literature that was written, nothing that we have that they talk about it like the Bible talks about it. See, the Bible talks about it, it's like, yeah, you, you might die and it's like a, just taking a little nap, but God has the power to wake you up from that. And Jesus spoke in this kind of language too. He talked about death as sleep, and people mocked him for it. People laughed at Jesus when he talked about death as sleeping. There's a story where there's this girl that was sick, and parents came to Jesus and said, Would you come and heal our daughter? And their daughter died, but Jesus still comes. And while he's there, he says, She's not dead, she's just sleeping. And it says that they laughed at Jesus because they're like, you don't even understand what death is, Jesus. And then Jesus speaks a word to this girl and just says, little girl, get up, wake up. And this girl gets up from death like somebody would get up from a nap. This is the power of God. And you can laugh at somebody when they talk about death as sleep until they actually do something about it. When they raise somebody from the grave, then you're like, wait a second, this guy might have something to say about death. And then when he goes to the grave himself and he conquers and defeats it, we listen up. This is somebody who has gone through death and can tell us how we should respond to it. He says it, it's just like sleep. I have the power to wake you up. You see, we, we will die, but in the power of God, we'll be risen again. And this is just a glimpse of what the kingdom of God looks like. This is where our hope comes from. You see, Jesus rose people from the dead to show us that when His kingdom comes, that there will be no more death. It's gone. It's finished. It's, it's eradicated. It's abolished. It's gone. But at the same time, as you look at the miracles of Christ across the board, as He fed 5,000 people, the reason He fed them it's because he's saying, my kingdom is like this. There are no more hungry be- bellies. As he looked at a man who was paralyzed and his body was broken, Jesus heals the man to say, see, this is what my kingdom is like. There's no more broken bodies. There's no more pain and suffering. There's no more back pain. God is going to fix all of that because he has the power to do it. And he did it. All of this is glimpses of what is to come. So this is where our hope is found. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. And so let us grieve, but let us grieve as one who has hope. Because listen to me, church, if we do not season our grief with hope, we will waste it. We will waste it, and it will decay our soul. For many years, especially at this time, people would preserve meat by rubbing salt into it or seasoning it with salt they didn't season it with salt literally it would decay and it would rot away in the same way what god would say to us is grieve yes but make sure that you grieve with hope season your grief with hope so that you're not wasted and your soul is not shriveled up by your grief church family let's let's grieve but not grieve not all about us we need to understand that this is not just a you grieve and you grieve with hope but we do this as a community together may we encourage one another when we grieve may we encourage one another when we grieve that's what verse 18 says all of this boils down in verse 18 he says encourage one another with these words you ever tried to encourage somebody else that's dealt with death? Have you ever had to encourage somebody through sorrow and through grief? Have you ever felt the inadequacy of what to say in that moment? How do we help people walk through grief and suffering in a hopeful way? Paul tells us how. He says in verse 18, with these words. This is a bold statement. This is a bold statement to say, encourage one another with these words. Because words can be empty, right? We say things all the time about, like, hey, put your money where your mouth is. Or make sure you walk the talk. If you're going to say something, you better live it up and have action behind it. So we a lot of times look at words as weak and frail and fragile. But Paul in this text is saying, no, 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 these words aren't empty words. They aren't fragile words. These are heavy. These are weighty. These are significant words for us. They should encourage our hearts and our souls. Now the question is, why? And how do we know that these words are weighty and they're not flighty? Because these are the words of our Lord. say well where did you see that ryan look back at verse 15 paul as he writes this says for we declare to you by a word from the lord jesus said everything that these verses in verse 15 16 and 17 said jesus had already spoken it paul is here just ripping it he's just copying what jesus has already said And what I hope to do as we walk through these few verses with the time we have left, is I want to help you understand these words of Christ so that you can encourage one another through this. You would speak the words of Christ. You see, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, I'm coming back again. And in Matthew 24, if you read that passage, it's basically elaborating on what Paul is just talking about right here. Jesus said, I'm coming back again. He promised it. Jesus also said that there would be a resurrection. We already read in John chapter 6, but he said it in multiple other places. John chapter 11, he said it. And then he also tells us that we together will be with those who have already died. And we will be with him in John chapter 14. And that's what these verses are saying. Everything that Jesus has already spoken. That's why these words are weighty. That's why we can encourage one another with these words. So let me give you... Three words of encouragement from each one of these verses that we would encourage one another. First, let's let us encourage one another with the returning of the Lord. Let us encourage one another with the returning of the Lord. In the New Testament, one out of every 13 verses, let that sink in for a minute. One out of every 13 verses either refers to or alludes to the second coming of Christ you think there's something God's trying to remind us about? you think there's something that God is wanting to tell us? God is coming again. And where the people are struggling in this passage is not that, is Jesus coming again? But they're struggling, what about those who missed out? Those who have already died, who didn't see Jesus come again. We've been waiting for you to come and you haven't come yet. And now these people have died. What happened to them, Jesus? Well, the scripture tells us. As Jesus hung on the cross, he looked at the thief that believed in him. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Not in a hundred years, not in a thousand years. Not you're going to take a little sleep and I want to wake you up and you'll be in heaven. No, that day. Paul in 2 Corinthians says the same thing. He says to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. So Jesus is speaking these things to encourage us. Yes, I'm coming again. For those that have already passed, you know what? Those in heaven right now need these encouraging words that Jesus is coming again to. And this might blow your mind because you think, if I've died, I'm in heaven. And like everything's perfect. And so like there's no more longing and everything's good. Oh, it's, it's a great place. And we look forward to that day with much hope. But in the book of Revelation, chapter 6, it tells us of saints who have died. Who are in heaven in the presence of God. And yet they're crying out for Jesus to come again. It's fascinating. They're discontent with a holy discontentment as they're saying, please come back again. We see all the injustices. We see the brokenness of this world. And Jesus, would you come back again? And so we need these words of encouragement. Yes, here and now. But even in eternity, we're going to look back at these words and be encouraged that Christ is coming again. And so encourage one another with these words. You see... The Christian goal and hope of life is not to get out of here. It's not to to leave earth. When Jesus was leaving earth after he rose from the grave, he didn't look at his followers and say, hey guys, I'm ascending to heaven uh, and one day I'm going to get you guys off this rock because this place is crazy. So just like sit tight and one day I'll get you off. That's not what he says. What he says, the last statements as he goes and ascends to heaven is... coming back again because all of this brokenness that we see in our culture and in our world that we feel in our bodies God's like I'm coming back to fix that I'm not abandoning this I'm going to redeem it and I hope that you're encouraged by the truth that when we get to heaven that there is something physical about it Our comfort is not a future immaterial world like, ooh, something spiritual out here. But it's a physical resurrection. And may we encourage one another with that truth that there's a physical resurrection. There's a physical resurrection. That's what it says in verse 16. The dead in Christ will rise first. You will have a physical body. Some of you, the greatest fears you have about eternity and thinking about heaven is like, I'm just going to be this disembodied soul, like, kind of wandering out here. And like, I don't know what to do. And that terrifies you. And it should, because that's not reality. That's not the real world that we live in, nor the one that is to come. God cares about the physical world. He created it, he made it good, and he's coming back to fix it again. And so we look at the resurrection of Christ, and it gives us hope on our resurrection. When Jesus came back, he had a physical body, that you could touch, he was hugging people, he was high-fiving people, he was sharing meals with people. Jesus didn't eat fish and it just fell out of his body on the ground because it was a spiritual resurrection. It wasn't. It was a physical resurrection of Christ. Physical. And so will ours be. God will redeem our broken bodies and he will redeem a broken world. So be encouraged by this truth. What we experience will be so much greater than we realize right now. So let's encourage one another in that. Lastly, let us encourage one another with the reunion. In verse 17, it talks about two different types of reunions that are going to happen. The first one is the one we think about most. But actually, the second one is most important. Verse 17, it says, then we who are alive, who are left when Christ returns will be caught up together with them. Who's that with them? The brothers and sisters, the loved ones, the friends who have already died that have trusted and believed in Jesus Christ. We will be with them again. And there will be a sense of joy in that moment and celebration in that moment. We need to encourage one another. We will see people again, absolutely. And I love how Jonathan Edwards in his famous sermon, heaven is a world of love, talks about it. He says, he says, on earth, the greatest love we will ever have is found in our relationships with others. But it's a pipe that's so clogged that we only get a little bit of water out of that pipe or a little bit of love. But in heaven, however, these clogs are removed. And this love that we experience will be infinitely and greater than anything we have known from our friends and our family before. So you love people, yes, when you get to see them again, it will be a whole different type of love. It will be deeper and richer than anything you've seen before. This is the union that we long for, to encourage one another with. But the most important one is where it ends in verse 17. It says, we will be in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. We will be with the Lord. This is a a greater reunion because this is the one that our hearts are so longing for. We're desiring for this. We're desiring to be fulfilled, God, that you would give us joy. That you would fulfill the desires of our hearts. And when we see him face to face, that is going to happen. Because this is who our Lord is. In the book of Psalms it says that in your presence is fullness of joy. When we see Jesus face to face and we're in the presence of God, our joy will finally be satisfied. Finally be full. And we look at our broken bodies and we we look to doctors and nurses and healthcare workers to help us in this moment. But one day when we meet Jesus face to face, we'll see the king of life. The one who can heal every brokenness in our body. And we will see him face to face. This is a reunion that we long for. This is a reunion that we need. These are the words that we encourage one another with. That Christ is coming again. He will return. And when he does, he will raise us from the grave. And we will be reunited with him and with those who have gone before who have loved and followed him. Let me close with this this morning. John Wesley, a man who lived back in the 1700s. He lived in Europe and he decided to leave Europe to go to America to make more money. And he was a missionary. Uh, But sadly, he was not a Christian He was a missionary going to tell people about Jesus, although he didn't believe in Jesus. He was even a chaplain on the boat, and yet he didn't know Jesus. And on that boat ride from Europe to America, a huge storm hit. It was shaking about to break the boat up, and everybody was freaking out on that boat. Everybody was like, death is here, it's imminent, it's right in our face. And John Wesley writes that there were a group of people who were singing, face of death who were praising the Lord in that moment and he looked and he stood in awe he even writes and he said even their kids seem to have peace in the face of death so they made it through that storm and the next day he goes to one of the people that were part of that group he said how did you have peace in the face of death itself. And John Wesley wrote, and said, they responded and said, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior? And Wesley responded and said, I hope so. <laughs> they said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. It's not a, I hope so. It's a decision that you make. And in that moment, John Wesley placed his faith in the king of life, the one who conquered death and is coming again. Would you do the same thing today? Bow your heads with me. If you're here and you have a sense of of fear of death, ever had hope for death in your entire life, it's been something that's been on your mind, maybe something happened in your life, even this last week, hearing news from a doctor, and you fear death in this moment, would you, would you run to Jesus? The one who gives us hope in this life, but also hope in death itself. And maybe you're here and you're young and you haven't been thinking about death, you're like, I'm so young and it's not even on my on my radar Then I would Really challenge you to think about it Because the way that you think about the end Is going to shape how you live the present So think about the end Think about that reality Because the wages of sin is death It comes for us all But the gift of God is eternal life So come to him today And pray God Forgive me of my sins Which are worthy of death The sin of jealousy The sin of greed Whatever the Spirit stirs in your heart, confess that to Him now and be forgiven. Maybe you're confessing the anxiety and worry that you have over death itself. That God would give you hope. Confess your sins and ask for Jesus, the God of life, to save you from death and to give you eternal life. And He will do it. And Christian, would you come to Him today? You've believed in Him, you've trusted Him, but never been encouraged by these words. You've heard them for years, but you've never been encouraged by the words of Jesus. Be encouraged today. Be encouraged. He is coming back. He is patient, waiting for more to believe in him, but he is coming back again. He will raise those who have died to a physical body. And he will reunite us with believers who have gone before. you are the resurrection and the life and we look to you for our salvation for our hope so Lord help us to grieve but to grieve with with, with hope and may we as a church encourage one another and encourage a lost world who is grieving with no hope with these words to the glory Stand and let's sing to the one who gives us hope.